This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we take you inside the biggest local and state stories of the week. This week, a big announcement from the State Board of Ed. Come the fall, all children in public schools in Illinois will be back in school in person. Mayor Lightfoot's media policy under fire. On the occasion of the two-year anniversary of my inauguration, I will be exclusively providing one-on-one interviews with journalists of color. And the mayor faces criticism on her second anniversary in office. On policing, on health, on recovery, the environment, and on education, a coalition of activists says Mayor Lightfoot is a failure. She promised to pass police reform within her first 100 days. And has she? No! No. Here to break it all down, Brandis Friedman, co-anchor of WTTW's Chicago Tonight and host of Chicago Tonight Black Voices. And David Greising, president of the Better Government Association. So Brandis, as we just said, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has just passed her two-year mark in office. And there's a lot to go over there. So let's start with police reform. Where are we and what are the details behind this new promise of a database of disciplined officers? I think a lot of folks will say no. She has not uh, made the progress that she promised and, and not quickly enough, you know, because that was the, she came in. She campaigned as the one who would reform police and she headed up the uh, Police Accountability Task Force under Rahm Emanuel after Laquan McDonald. I think the expectations were high, and I think folks will say no. She she has not gotten far enough. Uh, the aldermen who support her in city council who were saying, you know, this is going to be the thing, this is the transparency that everybody is asking for. I think a lot of activists and the inspector general is saying, no, this isn't what we were asking for. This is far more watered down than what we had suggested. They say it doesn't go far back enough. It doesn't include enough complaints and enough information, um, and they don't think that that is right. I think there were more expectations about um, her support for some sort of civilian oversight. She has kept saying that's coming, that's coming. I think it might be coming next week, but everybody's like, yeah, we'll see, because Mm -hmm. she's been saying that for a while. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like her relationship with the police union is is getting any better either. Right, David? Oh, absolutely. Uh, The police union, uh, along with the Chicago Teachers Union, both have been real thorns in her side. And the police union staged a demonstration this week with a vote of no confidence in both Lori Lightfoot and her police chief, David Brown. Uh, It's not surprising that she's at odds with the union, especially under the leadership of John Catanzara. Uh, But it does reflect the fact that she and her superintendent have made really no progress in winning support among the rank and file in the Chicago Police Department. You know, David, something that continues to frustrate Mayor Lightfoot, as it has past mayors, is the underfunded pension funds. Can you tell us what she recently said about that? 
Well, she recently said that there needs to be a reckoning and she keeps trying to kick the pension fraud problem down to Springfield or down onto the governor's desk uh, without really doing anything serious of her own to fix her own pension problems. Granted, Governor Pritzker has not made it any easier for her. He did sign legislation that increases the cost of the firefighters pensions to the tune of, uh, you know, around uh, $40 million per year. And this could mean that she'll also have an issue with regard to an additional cost of police pensions. She's vaguely called for this reform, but she doesn't have any ideas of her own. She's stopped short of saying there needs to be a a change to the constitutional amendment, which is really the crux of the problem. And Governor Pritzker, in any event, isn't going to do any major structural reform of pensions. He certainly is outspoken against a constitutional amendment. So Mayor Lightfoot, she made some news this week, a lot of news. This one, though, among reporters uh, for announcing a media policy when it comes to the coverage marking her two-year anniversary. Can you fill us in, Brandis? The way this news came out was a little strange as well. But basically, she said that, you know, for her two-year anniversary, for those interviews to, you know, what all journalists want to do, which is like, let's look back uh, with her and talk about what worked and what didn't and what's next, um, she said she would only be granting those interviews to brown and black reporters specifically. Everybody was a little caught off guard because Marianne Ahern over at um, Channel 5 tweeted that uh, the day before. I think the mayor's office was caught off guard by that getting out the way it did. Um, The mayor's office followed up with, you know, a very thoughtful letter. And she has a point. The city hall press corps, and I mean the core of that press corps, not just folks who show up and cover it every now and then, overwhelmingly white and male, but there are absolutely uh, journalists of color and women who cover the mayor's office as well. Mm -hmm. Um, She said she noticed it on the campaign trail, and just for this one opportunity to highlight the problem, that's why she's granting these interviews to black and brown reporters. There's been a whole lot of talk about it, though. There's been Um, so much talk, and I've been so surprised by the response. Um, And I think, you know, in, in part, it's because of that tweet that came out the night before that didn't give us a whole lot of context. It was just very matter-of-fact, and so, of course, everyone went running with it. Um, but I, I feel like we're moving further away from the actual message, which is the need for diversity. I want to bring you in here, David. What are your thoughts on, on the mayor's well, policy? She has a completely valid point that, that the, the industry of journalism in general and the press, the City Hall Press Corps in particular uh, lacks diversity. She probably was too ham-handed, and really the facts aren't that much in her favor. Two very prominent women journalists cover her daily, Fran Spielman and Marianne Ahern. Uh, WBZ pointed out there that of their three reporters, two of them are people of color. Uh, so the facts aren't really that favorable to her. The point is made. Uh, but if she were to continue to try to handpick who interviews her, that's where we would have, get into a serious problem. And there's no indication that that's what she's doing now. So point made, Mayor. Let's move on is kind of what I think my position would be on this one. So would you agree then, David, with the mayor's assessment that the City Hall press corps is too white? I think that the entire press corps of the city of Chicago and the nation of the United States is too white. (laughs) We need to work on this diversity issue. It's a serious problem in our industry. And her own track record has been poor with regard to these Black-run news organizations. She has her state press staff has basically ignored them until now, and so they. This is really she stepped into it in that sense, in that she has deferred primarily to the legacy news organizations, which do have the problem. But she could have proactively been more open to these other news organizations, which she has not done. 
Well, I, for one, I'm waiting for my one-on-one. We've certainly put out <laughs> our request. I was like, oh. And I don't know about you guys. We were denied, Sasha. And, and that's okay. We have access to her all the time. I think my team is um, trying to protect me. I haven't been told that I've been denied, but I, as the days go on, I'm like, I, I don't think I was granted a request. That's also why it was denied. granting interviews to black and brown journalists, but not this one or not that one. So, uh, so if, if you're listening, Mayor Lightfoot, it's been six months. I've been here. I'm out here. Give me a call. <laughs> Another issue Mayor Lightfoot's struggling with is mounting pressure to commit to that campaign promise that she made of an elected school board. David, what's the latest on that? Well, the latest on that is the Senate President Don Harmon has thrown Mayor Lightfoot kind of a, a lifesaver in that he has put out the idea that he would be willing to experiment with a hybrid school board, which is similar to what she has proposed. She campaigned on the idea of a fully elected school board, and ever since she got elected has been trying to reverse that and come up with some other fix because a fully elected school board likely would end up being dominated by the Chicago Teachers Union. There's a bill already out of the House that is passed with a fully elected school board, and it was looking to perhaps pass in the Senate and may yet do so before the end of the session. But now Don Harmon has said he'd be interested in a hybrid, at least on a two-year experimental basis. And that may well uh, at least give two years of breathing room to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Brandis, it looks like schools are going to be full-time in person in the fall. Tell us what happened with the Illinois State Board of Education this week, because a lot changed. Uh, the state superintendent of education has said that, you know, this is a res- resolution saying that, you know, once these state proclamations are over, we, you know, school districts need to be working towards um, having all students uh, in the classroom next year, with some exceptions, of course, for students where it's absolutely necessary. Um, you know, I'm certain the Chicago Teachers Union, interestingly, I don't think I've heard from them on this, um, but I'm certain they're going to have some, you know, have some things to say about that, because a lot of folks are still relying on having a vaccine or at least, you know, the ability to get a vaccine before students should be allowed to gather in schools. Um, You know, masking for now and distancing, they are saying, will still be part of the, you know, the daily practice once schools have resumed in the fall. But some folks are still concerned that, you know, if you've got small kids who, you know, kids under 11 still are not, you know, eligible for the vaccine, there's a concern that are they going to go to school and bring something home to grandparents who maybe they're vaccinated, but this illness is still scary, and there's a lot about it we don't know because we've only known about it for, you know, a year and a half. And there are some families who have said that remote learning, now that we've proven it can be done, it actually works better for some of their students, just as a matter of of, of flexibility. But I don't know. There's also the socialization aspect um, and learning from a teacher who's right in front of you. That's Brandis Friedman, co-anchor of WTTW's Chicago Tonight and host of Chicago Tonight Black Voices. Also with us is David Grising, president of the Better Government Association. David, Brandis, there are plenty more stories to get to this week. Stories like these. This could be the first signs of an expected tsunami of evictions as the nationwide moratorium is lifted. The portraits of former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama are coming to Chicago. The summer tradition is returning to Chicago. On June 6th, the city will start accepting applications for block parties. The Joffrey Ballet and Lyric Opera announced plans to bring back live performances at the Lyric Opera House after a pandemic shutdown for more than a year now. Hello, Mayor Lightfoot. So listen. Uh, I just talked to the doctor, and she's given us a green light. What do you think? Okay, Brandis, you just heard our world is opening back up, including Chicago's beaches. What's the latest? 
this was something that a lot of folks were really uh, upset about last year, uh, that beaches were not open, um, and even, you know, there was restricted access to the lakefront altogether. And so beaches are opening uh, Memorial Day weekend, uh, is what the city told us this week. So just in time <laughs> for the official uh, kickoff or the unofficial kickoff of summer. Can you also give me the rundown on which festivals and events we've heard so far are coming back? The big one, for sure, Lollapalooza that we just heard about. I think a lot of folks, uh, we heard some of the sound that you just ran, Riot Fest, Riot Fest. perhaps, yep. and Pitchfork. So those are definitely some big ones. We know that Navy Pier has resumed fireworks. Ravinia had already announced that they were planning uh, to resume performances. So I think, like you said, it's going to look a lot more mm-hmm. like normal with a, a long rundown, actually, of Returning. Yeah, it looks like Grant Park Music Festival as well, um, Hyde Park Jazz Festival. You know, as I look down the list, the Wine Fest sounds great, but that's not until October. Um, <laughs> I have to work something in sooner than that. Right. And for a, lot of, for a lot of people, it's the neighborhood festivals, too. Not everybody wants to go downtown and struggle with the big crowds and the costs, et cetera, at some of these bigger ones. So bringing the neighborhood festivals back is really when we'll know Chicago is more or less back to normal. Yeah, block parties are, are on again. Yeah, as long as you don't try to blow up those big bounce houses, right? You, you know, the bounce houses apparently are a health hazard. Uh, they don't. They do more than just drive parents crazy, apparently. So, block parties coming back is a great thing, and you know, neighbors knowing each other is is a positive. Cultural institutions continue to reopen as well. Uh, Lyric Opera and Joffrey Ballet both announced their lineups for a season of in-person performances. Do you think people will be ready to sit in an audience together this fall? I think especially by the fall, um, maybe we'll all be a little bit more relaxed in a good way um, about the restrictions. Um, And if by the fall, you know, we have shown that through summer with all of these, you know, outdoor festivals and activities where people are gathering a little bit more that, you know, if rates can stay down, vaccinations can go up. And certainly the theaters and these venues have had the time now, unfortunately, because they've been dark for 15 months, you know, to do the things they need to do to be sure their buildings are ready. So even at Lyric Opera House, for example, um, they've installed all new seating, which is supposed to be more comfortable. I can confirm. I, I believe that it actually is. Okay. Um, <laughs> super important. You tested um, it out. Okay, but good. They've, yeah, but they've been able to make sure that their, um, that their ventilation systems um, are up to par with what is necessary and to be able to make plans. But what the Lyric is doing is they're still offering anyone who holds a ticket to a performance, and if for whatever reason that performance comes up and you feel like, I can't go, rates are back up or I've gotten sick myself, you paid for the ticket, you can watch a streaming performance uh, from home the night of that performance. You know, they want to let people know you're welcome to come. We've made it as safe for you as we possibly can, and we hope that you feel safe. But if you can't, we understand. Do you sense, David, that people are ready to buy tickets to indoor performances? I think perhaps they are. Uh, you know, it, to, to the few social gatherings I've been to so far, people just seem to be craving uh, being back in touch with each other. And certainly the message from the CDC and from local officials has been pretty clear that we're safe. So long as we're vaccinated, that we're safe in those settings. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, these venues fill up pretty quickly. David, the Art Institute announced some really high profile portraits are, are coming to the museum this summer. Tell us about that. Absolutely. The Kehinda Wiley portrait of President Obama, which is famous because of that artist's old-fashioned style portraiture with these new backgrounds in the Obama portrait case, that green background with chrysanthemum flowers, which are 
the Chicago City Flower, etc. Anybody who's seen it can't forget it. And so that, along with the portrait of former First Lady Michelle Obama by Amy Sherald, uh, will be at the Art Institute as part of a five-city tour, the Art Institute being the first one that the Smithsonian has chosen. Uh, it'll start in June, June 18th. It'll be there through August. And I, I've had the benefit of seeing uh, Wiley's portraits, uh, an exhibit down in St. Louis uh, a couple of years ago. It was just breathtaking to see his work. And so wow. this is a great opportunity to see an incredible artist. Both of these artists are really quite fantastic. And these are very memorable portraits. Another sign that the pandemic is, is reaching another stage here, and that's that the governor announced he's phasing out the eviction ban. So what does that mean for renters and landlords, David? Well, what it means is that uh, there will still be some help. The phase out means that if people people can still get up to $25,000 to help cover uh, missed rents if they've lost their job or experienced reduced pay as a result. Governor Pritzker's office points out that altogether, uh, the state will have spent about $1.1 billion by the time the phase out runs its course at the end of August. Uh, so in the meanwhile, people need to be making arrangements if they're no longer able to meet their rent as of August, they'll no, the end of August, they'll no longer be protected from eviction. And uh, uh, it seems to me a fair warning. If you know you're not going to be able to make your payments uh, to move to a different location by then, it reminds us life is getting back to normal, including the parts, the, the benefits that some of us accrued from uh, COVID with regard to checks that came in through, from the government. So these things are beginning to go away as well. All right. So I, I want to get both your thoughts on the big media story that's happening today. We covered it earlier in the show, and that's that Tribune Publishing shareholders, uh, they approved a takeover by hedge fund Alden Capital. So, David, I'll start with you. You covered business for the Chicago Tribune for many <laughs> years. What are your thoughts? Yes. I'm a little bit confused, frankly, because this last minute tweak that came up that uh, the person who owns 24% of Tribune shares, Patrick Sun-Xiong, uh, who now owns the Los Angeles Times outright, uh, he did not vote. And the requirement in this vote apparently is that, that Alden needed two-thirds of the shares not owned by Alden. And we need to wait to find out the technical aspects of this. It could be that by withholding his vote, uh, abstaining, mm -hmm. Sun Xiong meant that Alden, quite, Alden did not quite close the deal. All that will mean, frankly, is probably that this will go back up for another vote. They'll figure out how to kind of close the deal. But while it's already been reported by the Tribune and others that Alden now has control of the company, there is this last minute tweak that has created a little bit of uncertainty about the final outcome. What are you thinking here, Brandis? I mean, if, if the outcome does end up shifting in the direction of Alden Capital, what's this going to mean? I mean, I'm afraid for our colleagues at the Chicago Tribune. Um, this is something that they, along with, you know, their colleagues at other Tribune-owned stations, Baltimore Sun in particular, um, have been resisting for quite some time um, because we all know that Alden has a reputation for slashing and burning. We've already seen, you know, some cuts and some buyouts happen at the Chicago Tribune, and so I'm fearful for what that means for the quality of the product that the Tribune um, produces, that they put out. Are either of you surprised that no local philanthropist stepped in here? 
Yeah. I'm a little bit surprised. And I know a lot of these people who have been involved in other efforts. And uh, over the last few weeks, I've, I've had conversations with quite a few of them. There was a feeling of a couple of things. First of all, that the Tribune at this point is so far gone that the turnaround was going to be expensive and, and take a long time. There was also the fact that many of them already have lost a lot of money either trying to save the Sun-Times. They tried to merge with the Chicago Tribune several years ago, and the Justice Department blocked that from happening. And a bunch of the people who were interested in journalism investments really left that experience with a very bad taste in their mouths. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, I don't think it was that surprising. It certainly is disappointing, though. Uh, But what they've done instead is they've poured, a number of them have poured significant money into nonprofit journalism, uh, like WBEZ, like uh, the BGA, uh, like ProPublica and Block Club and these uh, and and city bureaus, uh, the nonprofit sector that is that is flourishing right now. That's where they've been making their bets, and I think it's benefiting the city of Chicago that they're doing so. Well, that is it for the weekly news recap. I want to thank Brandis Friedman, co-anchor and correspondent for WTTW's Chicago Tonight, and David Grising of the Better Government Association. Thank you so much for stopping by and talking news and politics with me. And that's the Weekly News Recap. Join us right back here Sunday for our weekly COVID Q&A with Dr. Mia Teramina. Until then, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.